After the interview with Amanda, she had a small wish that she could have defined the word temperance when I asked her about it in the interview. Amanda says temperance protects us from excess. Again, temperance protects us from excess. I also looked up the definition on the internet, and Merriam-Webster defined temperance as moderation in action, thought, or feeling. As Amanda talks about healing her relationship with food and ultimately herself through Christ, I invite you to think about how you are cultivating temperance in your own life. Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins King, and you are listening to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am continuing my mini series on food and nutrition. I hope you enjoy this episode. Amanda Sanchez is a happy wife and newish stay-at-home mom of two busy boys. Six weeks after her second baby was born in 2019, she joined a 12-step program for food addiction recovery, and her life was never the same. Finding God in her new relationship with Whole Foods brought spiritual healing, sustainable weight loss, and physical health. In 2020, she shared her food journey on her blog, littlemissfearless.com, and received countless requests from women struggling with body image and addictive eating. In 2021, Amanda certified as a creation coach in hopes to soon offer a unique group experience guiding others to food freedom through unlocking the power of their divine identity as a fearless co-creator with Christ. Amanda, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. And Amanda and I met through the creation coach program, and we actually went to Skyline High School together. We both graduated in the same year, but we didn't really know each other. So it has been such a blessing to reconnect and to even connect with her in the first place. And I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Will you start us off how you decided that you even had an addictive relationship with food? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me, first of all, too. And I could go off about how the timing of us meeting up, even though we were going to the same high school, like was now. And I'm so grateful for that. So when I think back... Prior to 2019, which was when I joined the food addiction recovery program, my relationship with food wasn't really anything super out of the ordinary from what I hear now is common for most people. I have memories, you know, that go back to, I mean, probably junior high or high school where I remember like eating an entire bag of Tootsie Rolls and then being like, did I just do that? Like, (laughs) but it didn't like, it didn't affect me at the time. Right. It was just more of this awareness of like, wow, I just, I don't know if I should have done that. Like I literally ate the entire bag. Or times when I would hang out with friends and, you know, get like, maybe we didn't really find anything interesting to do that night or anyone interesting to hang out with. And so like, we would finally just all go home and instead of going to bed, like, you know, maybe would have felt normal. I would stay up and just like grab the ice cream in the freezer and sit in front of a show. Like nobody in my house was awake. Right. I'm just like a teenager and not doing anything bad, but I would just sit down and like eat whatever was left of the ice cream. And again, kind of those moments of like, I don't know if I should have done that. Right. Like either I don't remember feeling super sick afterwards or anything. It was just kind of like, I don't know if I meant to do that when I started. (laughs) And I have memories of like working through emotional struggles, either with like a new job or something at school where I would like have conversations with my sister in my parents' kitchen. And we would just talk for, I mean, a couple of hours or more about things we were going through emotionally and pounding whatever my mom had of like peanut M&Ms that were in the kitchen. My mom always had candy and treats out like all the time, my entire life. But all of that, I just, I don't ever remember thinking that that wasn't normal at the time. Like that was just what we did. And it was like, 
my sister was doing it too or whatever, right? Like it just, it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me. But I think what I started noticing, especially as I got older, like the first couple of years of college, where some of the body image struggles and insecurities I had had most of my life. And I'm literally talking all the way back to first grade or fifth grade, like I have these specific memories of comparing myself to girls in my class who were smaller than I was and just feeling like my legs don't look like theirs. Like we'd sit down because our teacher would read us stories and I would just be so self-conscious that like I'm next to this girl who's way smaller than me. Right. And it wasn't necessarily because I was overweight or anything. We just had different body sizes, but that was really hard for me as a young girl to even understand. And so I know some of those tendencies to be looking outside myself to determine what was normal or if I was normal or if I was pretty enough, like it was constantly like looking outside myself for that, which again, I know is quite normal too. But by the time I was about to go into college, it was, it was kind of manifesting itself more severely, like more emotionally driven where I just wanted to change the way that I looked. I wanted to change how my body was. I had had comments made to me from friends in high school that caused me to feel super insecure about certain parts of my body or I remember kind of at that point, early college years, just really being like, you know what, I'm going to take this into my own hands now. And I would try not to eat anything. I would try to only get by with like a handful of cashews in a day, or I would try to like, you know, I would look up on the internet, like different diets and things and try to just eat as little as possible, hoping that if I could just hang on, I could finally get like the body that I since first grade thought I needed to have and that that would make me happy. And so there was kind of just this like back and forth of like, Maybe not necessarily having, because I think when people think of food addiction, they're like, oh, people who can't stop eating food, right? You don't even get specific about like which foods or what kinds of foods or under what circumstances. You're just like, those people can't stop themselves. <laughs> and what I've learned from my experience and, you know, being in a program where I could hear a lot of people's different stories is like, it is, it runs the gamut. Like it's, it looks in all different ways, right? For different people. And we all have different stories and different circumstances that bring about certain behaviors in us. And for some of us and many of us that might involve food. And so I think what I have found is when I got to the point in 2019, where it was kind of just like that cycle had been repeating itself so much throughout my life of like, I would start to feel out of control. I would turn to the food to try to control it because that was ultimately like, I was unhappy because my body looked this way, right? I wasn't pretty enough or it wasn't this or that. I wasn't popular enough. And I wasn't popular because my body looked this way. And like, I could always find the reason for my unhappiness having to do with my appearance basically. And food just became this natural way to try to change my appearance. Like I needed to control the food so that I could change my appearance. So I could finally like be happy and love myself. And after my second baby, like pregnancies in and of themselves were hard. I struggled with infertility. There was weight gain, a lot of shame because I was a blogger and a fashion blogger during my pregnancies where I just felt so much self, like kind of those same feelings of elementary school. Like if I'm seeing this, everybody's seeing it. And I just didn't want people to see me in a light that I didn't like, whether that was overweight or whatever it was, right. Or pregnant and feeling huge or whatever. And so after my second baby, the food had become a combination of everything that I had experienced in those one-off scenarios I mentioned growing up of like, sometimes just using it to help me cope through emotions. Sometimes I was using it because nothing else felt very joyful in my life. And that felt joyful, right. To eat these things that tasted really good or boredom, like whatever those emotions are, but it was like, they had all sort of started to accumulate instead of being able to turn to the cycle that I normally would of like, okay, I'm just going to stop eating so much, or I'm going to find some kind of food plan. And I'm going to just start exercising, like do all the things that out there, they always say you're supposed to do, right? I couldn't do it. 
<laughs> I would set these goals for myself because that's what I always did. And I couldn't stick to them. Like I would wake up and not only could I not stick to them for an entire day of like, I'm not going to eat these foods anymore. Now I'm going to eat these foods. Like I didn't even want to, like, I kind of just got to this place of apathy of like, I don't even care, but I couldn't live with myself at the same time. Like I did not like the choices that I was making around my food and the lack of boundaries. Like it started to feel extreme because there literally was nothing. It was almost like a dead inside. Like there was nothing stopping me. There was no voice that I was heeding that was saying, Hey, you've had enough, you know, you're good. Let's like move on from the food and do something else. Now it was just sort of like, it was just chaos. Like it was so disorganized. There was no order. There was no spirit or love in it. It was just, (laughs) so I just, I felt like I had hit that point of desperation of like, I clearly can't seem to figure this out on my own, but I wasn't happy with where I was. And so I think at that point, that's when I recognized like all of these experiences have sort of like brought me to this point now of, I need help. Like this is an addiction and you can't handle, you can't, you can't solve addictions on your own. When you enrolled in the food addiction program, what were the parameters and guidelines of the program and why did those, and what did those boundaries do for you? Yeah. So I'll mention a couple of them. I've written a blog post on this just because I think the guidelines and the parameters of these kinds of programs are different than you find in a lot of like diets or programs out there. And when we're dealing with addiction, you you can't just treat the symptoms. So like if you're dealing with addictive behavior around food, well, trying to just change the food itself isn't going to result in long-term change, right? Because you're just treating the symptom. The symptom is, oh, you have a problem with this food. Let's just replace it with that food, right? Or, oh, you have a problem with weight. Like, well, let's just deal with the weight as if that's going to be like, resulting in the change that led to the weight gain in the first place. With the program, one of the tools is abstinence from flour and sugar. And that just means, I mean, literally zero shower flour or sugar, right? Like you're not eating desserts, you're not eating breads, you're not eating things where the basis of that food is made from something processed like flour or sugar. And I think it's important that that in the program, it's like identified as a tool because sometimes you think abstinence, again, like if the only goal of trying to create change is abstinence, you're missing the entire point because you're again, just treating a symptom and not the underlying root cause of the behavior. And so abstinence creates a boundary on the foods that you keep turning to for, you don't even maybe know, right? Sometimes you just need space from those things. I know I did to figure out like, why am I going to that? Why do I keep thinking after all of these years and all of these negative consequences with these foods? Like, why do I keep going back to them to try to give me something that clearly I'm not getting from them. So that one is probably like one of the biggest tools in that program that helped me, even though that's probably the scariest for most people. And then they have other supportive things like attending meetings. You go and attend a meeting, just like you would in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like these food addiction recovery programs are based off of the same principles for Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just a different substance that you're addicted to, right? But the behaviors, the underlying issues are very similar. And so you need a community of people who get you, who like, don't think you're crazy because you have this problem. Because there were so many times where even though I said, oh, a lot of these things I did growing up were very normal. I sometimes also would use that same data and isolate myself from like my family and be like, well, my sister doesn't have this problem. I messed up. It's me, right? Like, like a shaming approach to trying to fix the problem as if like, I'm, there's just something wrong with me. So when you have a support of people who literally are working through that same identity and shame story and they get you and they accept you. It's like, that's huge for being able to create a foundation of change. Um, 
Other tools are like you have a sponsor that you call every morning and that person is intended to keep you accountable, but they also have been on the journey a little bit longer than you in the food program. And so they have some guidance and wisdom they can share. You're encouraged to make phone calls, outreach to either offer support or ask for help if you're needing it, especially with abstinence, right? You're about to break your abstinence because you're so emotional. And it's like they provide that as an outlet. And then just other things like reading literature, writing, creating space in your day for quiet time to connect with your higher power who I call my heavenly father, and then also practicing things like gratitude and service. So um, that's kind of just like a quick overview. Like we could go into detail, obviously, about all of them. And I have such beautiful feelings towards them because they've helped me so much, but really just unique uh, boundaries that for me helped me to get my focus off of trying to change myself and my focus onto my higher power, my heavenly father, who ultimately has all the answers I'm looking for. Right. And if I could just put a boundary on these things that for whatever reason, keep pulling me away from him, then maybe I could take that space and turn towards him and find the peace that I ultimately am trying to find that the food is just simply not giving to me. And so what do you think about temperance? Did you even realize that that's what you were practicing when you were going through that process? No, that didn't come to me until later. It wasn't something that I don't think that was like regularly mentioned in the program. And again, because a program like this is non-denominational, so it's not necessarily specific to like even the Bible or other faiths that are Christian. It's just like you have a higher power to some people that might just simply be the universe, right? Like, so there weren't any like specific literature that would have maybe brought that word to my attention other than it coming through my own personal seeking through scriptures and revelation. So it wasn't something that really be, that dawned on me until later, but it was really cool to almost experience it that way because it wasn't like I'm seeking temperance. I just was seeking freedom from this like bondage I had found myself in that I clearly created for myself, but I also didn't understand it. And I needed somebody who, who did to help me. And when I did stumble upon temperance and then be able to look back at my journey with the food and be like, oh my goodness, like I totally have a testimony of why temperance is so important because I feel like one of the biggest things I learned on this journey, it being so spiritual was that like so much of how I related to God or to his commandments or to like the guidance that is given to us in scriptures and principles and all these good things that are intended to like enrich our lives and help us experience like a more fulfilling, joyful life. (laughs) I often would approach those backwards and just think like, I'm supposed to do this so that I can earn, like, so I can prove myself and earn his love, right? Or or show that I'm committed or show that I get it or whatever. And when I finally realized that that was almost the perspective that was driving me into these like negative behaviors to begin with. Um, and then like learning in the scriptures of like everything God does is for us. And like that just, it changed my relationship with him. It changed my relationship with myself and with all of the things that he's put in the world for us <laughs> to learn from and to protect us and to help us experience a more full and abundant life, right? Like temperance to me can sometimes, I think, come across like something, something that is trying to limit us or restrict us, right? But it's not really until you experience it that you're like, I've never felt more free. And it's because of temperance. Like that's what freed me from the chaos of me trying to just go at my own way without any boundaries or any rules or any, you know, any guidance. So. What role did your sponsorship or the accountability play in your healing? Mm -hmm. That was huge for me. I think so a few years leading up to this um, food addiction, like joining this food addiction program, I had done a lot of work 
primarily because of the struggles in my blog world, social media, primarily, right? Like, I mean, I already mentioned a struggle growing up with comparison. Like you put me on social media, like that was bound to blow up. And I had found myself really digging deep with therapy and just searching and studying Brene Brown's work, especially because like her messages around perfectionism and shame just completely resonated with me. Like so many of the things that she would share and her own stories were like, that's my story. Like I totally understand what she's talking about. And so I had done a lot of that work, you know, prior to finding this food program. And I think what that allowed me to do was go into this program with a lot of these structures and these boundaries of like, these are the things you need to do to participate in this kind of a program and having a sponsor where I always felt like, yeah, there's a benefit to having someone who's been down a path, help guide you. But the fact that I needed to call this person every single morning was a little bit like, okay, that's a little much, right? I think that's probably most people's, I would actually go on record and say, I bet most people don't join a food addiction program because of the fear of the sponsor. Like, am I going to find the right one? Do I have to call them every single morning. What if I don't want to call them every single morning? Right. Like, but I think I understood enough from a shame perspective of what I was experiencing and how Brene has said, like the antidote to shame is empathy. And I knew I needed somebody else who could intimately relate to what I was experiencing. Like I knew I needed to have somebody that could not only hold me accountable, but I would commit to eat certain foods every day. And if I didn't, I would have to own up to that sponsor and tell them like, I said, I was going to do something and I didn't do it. Right. Take the food out of the equation. That's a beautiful principle to live that we try our best to like keep our commitments to each other. Right. But the sponsor aspect scared me as well. And I just was very fortunate with the timing of this whole journey that the person who ended up sponsoring me was the friend that introduced me to the program in the first place. So it actually ended up being a very beneficial experience for me where maybe some people who didn't have it work out that way for them in the program had more negative experiences. And what did you learn about food via revelation during this process? So it was about a month into the program, you know, 30 days off of sugar and flour, which if anyone's ever done that, they know how hard it is. (laughs) And I just remember kind of hitting a brick wall where I was like, I just don't like, okay, I did 30 days, right? Like I feel really good. I noticed differences. I was seeing weight come off. I was feeling a little bit clearer in my mind and just not spending so much time thinking about food because I just knew I wasn't going to eat certain things. So there wasn't this opportunity to get stuck in indecision. I just knew what I was going to eat and I just eat it. But you kind of were like, okay, am I going to be like, am I seriously doing this forever? Like am I free yet? You're just kind of like evaluating whether or not you should keep going, even though you have so many positive reasons to. And I remember, I think I was on my way to one of the meetings and I mean, I have a newborn, right? So it's like, it wasn't, there were certain requirements of this program that stretched me and it wasn't the easiest, like there's never a perfect timing. Like I had a newborn and I was trying to fit this in. Right. But I clearly just wanted it badly enough that I, I was willing to work through those things. And I was driving to one of the meetings and um, I just remember being in my car and like pulled onto the side of the road. And I was like, I just don't even want to go tonight. I don't want to go. Right. But like, I knew if I didn't go, I was just going to find myself feeling tempted to just go home and eat about eat over it or find some escape through something in my pantry. And I just had this moment where I honestly think I remember pulling up a video of my son who had just been born a few you know, a couple months prior of his birth video and experiencing the spirit of that hard thing I had just overcome, let alone like the infertility part of it on the end, it brought like this comfort of, and also like a reminder of what matters most. 
And so I was able to like in that spirit, stop there for a moment. I literally, for the first time in my life, felt the Lord speak to me in specific words in a short phrase that I've never forgotten. He said, it's not about the food. Let me teach you. And what that has meant for me, first of all, when he said it, I was kind of like, okay, <laughs> right? Because I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, it's not about the food. Let me teach you. And it was like, well, okay, what is it about then? He didn't tell me what it was about. He just gave me an opportunity to be patient and trust that more answers were, would be coming, that I was on the right path, right? But that maybe my focus was a little off. And for some reason, like that, it totally brought me peace. It just allowed me to be like, okay, I don't have to have all the answers. I think sometimes when we're in those moments of like discomfort, we're seeking certainty, like as if the certainty is going to be the thing that relieves the discomfort. But I often think that's not the case. And because most things in life, like we're not going to have certainty and every minute that we spend searching for it just keeps us from the peace that comes from the Lord, right. And not from the world. So that's kind of been like this message that has continued to teach me as my journey has continued. Like I experienced this huge transformation through through my food changes, but it's like, it's always ongoing, right? I still have to continue to eat every day for the rest of my life and make choices and try to use what I've experienced and learned to choose wisely. And I think that beautiful message is applicable for anybody, right? To stop and be like, if this doesn't feel right, or if I'm struggling, like, what is it about? Like dig deeper into the, why am I doing this? And what is it really about? And what is it, what do I want to gain from this? And what do I hope that it's about, right? In order to keep moving forward in faith and trusting that the Lord is going to teach you things you wouldn't have found had you forced your way down a path that you thought it had to be or, or searching for certainty. And you also said uh, stuck in indecision, the indecision of knowing, oh, what am I going to do? What role do you think that plays in people's food choices? Yeah. I mean, for me, there's a lot of noise (laughs) because I have a history of like looking outside for validation. Right. So I think anytime you're doing something like this, at least for me with the food, I can get hung up on like all the right things to eat versus, well, sometimes I just feel like eating this and you can almost very quickly invite chatter into your mind and into the decision-making process as if everybody else cares or as if everybody else has a say on what you choose to do (laughs) or what you choose to eat. And it's interesting because I feel like food is so symbolic of faith, of like the gospel. We need both to live and survive. And yet our journeys are going to be so unique to us. And it's really not anybody's business how anybody learns or how anybody else chooses to experience life, right? Like our choices are our own. And so sometimes I think that indecision really just comes from having invited too much of the mind of the world into into our heads as we're trying to choose. And sometimes we aren't even aware of it. Like I would, I would say probably for me, a lot of my life, I wasn't even aware that that's what I was doing, that I was making decisions based off of, was it going to appear a certain way to other people? Would this help people look at me the way I want them to look at me? Would it be, you know, like kind of that outside in approach instead of really being able to intentionally separate from that when we make decisions and go off of just a more firm foundation of our relationship with God and making choices from that place, because ultimately that's what we're going to be answering for at the end anyway, right? Is like that relationship with him. And how did you leverage the spiritual food you were ingesting during this process of separating from specific foods 
mm-hmm. to help you overcome the desire to go to food or even to others for yeah. validation. Yeah, for what I was seeking. I so around that time, like I'd had that like experience with the spirit giving me that message. And then not too long after that, I started reading the Book of Mormon. And this was, you know, I had read the Book of Mormon. I grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I had read the Book of Mormon one time before when I was like 19. And I remember having a great experience with it, but it wasn't something I had regularly been doing. And there were some other things I hadn't regularly been doing, but like I felt drawn to this book from a new perspective. And it was kind of just like, I couldn't think of any reason not to read it. And I, I wasn't seeking anything specific. Like I need this food, this book to help me with my food journey. It was just sort of like, that seems like it would help me feel good. And so I started reading it and again, it it really did. Like I couldn't even pinpoint like this specific scripture or this specific thing. It just some, like some puzzle pieces started to fall into place for me of things I had either forgotten or just hadn't seen before. And that became the spiritual food that I was ingesting in. And just like, just like our food, I think when we eat primarily processed foods, it's almost natural that we want to keep eating them because we're sort of, we're like, we're not feasting, right? Like the food is lacking something extremely essential in order for us to like benefit at the maximum potential from our food and to be fully nourished. Right. But when when you make a change to your food, like I had done where there were boundaries on those types of foods. And so the, if I was going to eat, the only thing left to eat was whole foods and they're so nourishing. They're so rich and pure and just like full of everything that your body needs. And you feel like you're literally just feasting. And I noticed such a difference physically. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't have even expected that it would feel the way that it actually felt. Even if a hundred people were telling me like, you're going to feel this, you know, it's going to feel great. It's totally different when you experience it for yourself. And so simultaneously to be feasting on the words of Christ and be just feeling so nourished and enriched spiritually and in ways I couldn't have sought out, right? Like it's sort of, you just receive this stuff because you can't, you can't create it yourself. Like it, it's, it's not ours to create it straight from him. And so there was just this beautiful harmony that happened that as I feasted spiritually again, because the root of addiction, a spiritual lack, there's something that is missing that is uh, that's causing us to not feel whole. And so as I started to fill that in with something that was pure and was whole and was nourishing, it helped the relationship with food. I had a greater desire to eat the whole nourishing foods and feast on those and not get caught up in that indecision or get caught up on like, oh, but I feel like eating this. It almost just became like, this is just what I do. And it felt so good to have both things working on all cylinders for both like my spirit and my body. Mm. And what has kept you unattached to food throughout the last couple of years? Like what's helped you to stay on the path Mm -hmm. this new enlightened way? Yeah. Um, I mean, I won't lie to you. I've had moments of fear and doubt still, right? Where like I've allowed sugar and flour back in at certain times since this big journey. So just to give more context, after I was in the program, I left the program after about five months and I decided like, I do want this to be my lifestyle. And I continue to live that for basically two years. And then I decided to introduce some things back in for certain traditions or family occasions. And I did find like a reawakening of that, sometimes that emotional desire to just turn to the quickest thing for comfort, right? Or for an escape or for for numbing, like all the different reasons we can all relate to. (laughs) So I have had moments of doubt, but I feel like ultimately my entire perspective changed and my nature changed because I practiced this way for so long 
I mean, so long, right? Like I did not turn to food for so long (laughs) to cope through everything. And I mean, a great chunk of this was right in the pandemic. Like I joined that food addiction program in 2019. And then I decided to leave the program at the end of December, 2019. And all of 2020, it was like me and the Lord working on these, continuing to practice these food and just life principles. And that was a tender mercy for me personally, right? Because I felt completely prepared to manage the emotions of that year and not turn to food. And I know, I mean, even people in my own life and my family who struggled with their food during that time, that season, which is totally justified. But I also just felt like, wow, that was such a gift from the Lord that I didn't have to struggle that way. And so I feel like because of the practice, but then also when you do something, when you do practice something consistently and diligently for so long, you reach a point naturally, and it might be different for everybody, but you reach a point where you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And when you do anyway, it just breaks you of the old you. I don't know how else to describe it. I don't even know if that's very eloquent. And for me, that point was not that that 30 days in where the spirit said, it's not about food. Let me teach you like this came probably in the fourth or fifth month where I was just like, I did not want to sit down and eat salmon and broccoli. Like that sounds so that's such a first world problem. And it really, I mean, food addiction may be very much a first world problem, but I just was like, I am so sick of doing this. Right. But then I did it anyway. And again, I woke up the next morning and I never regretted it. There was just something in that, that has stuck with me ever since that whenever I do feel tempted or I'm recognizing like, Oh, old patterns are coming up with this or that, because I've allowed it back in my boundaries, aren't what they were. I feel like I'm still able to maintain this distance from it too, where I don't feel manipulated by my food or the food chatter or the addiction aspect of it, because I'm just not the same person anymore. And I couldn't have done that without the Lord. And so what do you wish more people understood about Jesus Christ when trying to come off conqueror? This is a great question because it makes me very aware of what I both know about him and what I haven't yet learned. I have this tendency to want to say like the most groundbreaking thing, recognizing that I'm still learning who he is and what he means in my life. But I I probably could say right now two things. And one is I wish myself included that we each looked more intricately to the example he's given us of how he's overcome, like not just how he overcame death, right. And how he overcame and suffered all of our sins and then rose again. But also like there are moments throughout his entire life and his ministry where he overcame the world. I think every time that he was faced with opposition and every time that people didn't approve of him or people didn't receive him or didn't believe in who he said he was, how he responded was the exact example that I have found works every time when I use it in my life to overcome the things that I'm facing, whether it's food or it's relationships or whatever self-doubt or little things in my life that I'm just struggling with and that nag at me over and over and over again. And I I think It's just, I don't know, it's part of our human nature to look outside of ourselves. But I also think there's just something so interesting about how many of the answers are just right there in his example. And that it doesn't have to be this complicated 12-step system or all these tools that we have to gain, or we've got to go read all these books by all these people to learn how to like become who we want to be. Like, I think it's simpler than that. I just think it's like, 
if we just looked more intricately and articulately at what he did and how he did it and what was he thinking about as he overcame that specific situation, I think we would have the answers that we need to apply immediately and not feel like we have to just keep searching all the time for all these things. What I really do believe so much of it is right there and it's in Jesus Christ. It's in his example. The other thing is I wish we could remember more just how expansive his love and compassion is for us exactly where we are. I still, especially as a recovering perfectionist, find myself in a pattern of thinking that I need to do all these things or achieve all these things before I'm like worthy of his help or thinking that like, you know, I have to go do something in order for the change to take place. And, and I know this is kind of like a both and answer. Like we, we put our effort in because that's what faith is. And that's what helps us to continue to believe in ourselves that like, wow, I can do this. If I didn't do it at all, I'd always just believe only he can do it. Right. But he wants us to believe in ourselves, which is why he encourages us to, to do all we can as well. But I just think his love and acceptance for where we're at when we just feel like we're the worst (laughs) is something that I don't know. For me, it doesn't always come naturally. Like if I'm not diligently working toward accepting and receiving that from him and trying to understand it better and trying to look for it everywhere in my life. And even in the people in my life who are imperfect, then I'm cutting myself short (laughs) and I'm basically going down the same pattern that I've gone through many times in my life that ultimately doesn't work. (laughs) Like his, his way works, his love is what we need. And, and I know we'll spend our whole lives you know, learning how to comprehend it and receive it more and be it. But those are probably the the two main things that come to mind for me. And how have you stayed spiritually nourished during this time so that you aren't looking to other things to fill you? Yeah. Um, one thing that became super clear on my journey, again, this is part of the answer for it's not about the food and what it is about for me. I had had a history of really looking to the world. And I didn't see it as looking to the world at the time. That was just how I lived my life, right? Like I was very engaged and I was very, I had a lot of people that I wanted to keep up with and whatever, but I, at this particular intersection of my life with the food struggles, it became very clear to me that the foods that I always tended to want to turn to for immediate comfort and gratification and escape (laughs) was just a symbol of the world in my life. It represented the way that I often would escape to social media to find inspiration, to feel better about my life and who I was going to become, but it was always material inspiration, right? And that paradox became very clear for me that when I keep a boundary on certain foods, on certain behaviors, on certain just things that are part of our digital and modern world as justified as they may be, and as crazy as you might feel to not be fully there, right? Because that's where everybody is. I found so much more about who I really am as I put the boundaries there. And I'm always reassessing those boundaries. Like I left social media for a while. I quit my blog, what I'd been doing for eight years. And so many changes came as a result of this food change. And the more I continued down that path, the more clearly the Lord made it for me that like when I do the essentials and for me, that's eating the foods that are essential, the foods that nourish me versus the foods that just taste good. And then I'm always like, ah, did I really need that? Right. Or reading the things that are essential. I love knowledge and I love learning from other people. And I think there are so many fascinating minds in the world, but I can't read everything all the time. Right. Like you just would never get through all of it. 
And for me, even with that, being able to say like of the books I could read, what's the most essential. And I always find myself with the answer for me being the scriptures, you know, and when I really prioritize those things that are not of the world, even though sometimes they might seem boring in comparison, because the world is very flashy and it's hip and it's up and coming and it's what's next, right? It feels like the future, but I've just learned from experience now that like, it's not just the food. It's there's these other tendencies that I have that when I keep proper boundaries, I'm able to be free to choose from that place of what really matters most to me and not be constantly distracted by maybe what seems more appealing in the moment or is more driven by my appetite. And so because of that awareness of those boundaries, I feel like I have opened myself up to endless nourishment. And I, even now when I don't always feel like it, I just know, and I don't get stuck in indecision because I just know by experience that that results in what I want. Choosing the things that are essential will always give me what I'm really seeking. Very well said. And (laughs) what about in the moment of seeing people eat foods that you know are pleasurable and you know have this effect in the moment, what do you think to keep you where your highest and best self desires to be? You mean by like not being tempted to eat with them or something like that? Yeah, this is interesting because I have, I feel like I've had a lot of experiences both during that program and outside of it. Like when I was in the program, it was very much, I was just trying to be responsible for my own issues, right? And not projecting those onto other people. Cause I think sometimes when people diet, especially in a family setting, you get in this mode where you're like, this is so unfair. They get to, I don't get to. And then you want to just rebel against the whole thing. But because I was going in from a place of like, I have to take responsibility for this. Like this has created so much disharmony in my life with myself that I can't, I can't just like blow it and just in a moment of temptation and eat with my family, right? Or just, just because they're eating that. I think, I mean, there's so many answers to this question, but the biggest part of that is because of this experience, that data has informed how I go forward. So there are times where celebrating a tradition is important to me and I plan for it. And I even plan that I'm going to (laughs) overeat, that I'm going to have a slice of cake and I'm going to want to go back for more. So if I just commit to myself that I'm going to have a slice of cake and an extra piece afterward, I don't experience the shame that I used to because it's just like, I just know that that's how I respond to these things. Even after all of this work that I've done, that's still a very natural response for me to to be kind of like blindsided or like, you know, blinded in my eyes of like, how much is enough? Like it just happens that way. And I'm okay with that. But there are other situations where if I'm not prepared and my thoughts go there, I try to remember the experiences that I've had and how it's okay for us to have different kind of like I was saying about the faith and the gospel, right? Like it's okay for me to be where I'm at and have had a completely different relationship with food or with the gospel than somebody else has had with it. That doesn't mean that mine's better or that theirs is better or that they figure something out. And so they get to have these foods and I don't, it's like, I always know it's my choice. And I also always know that if I choose certain things, I know what the consequence is for me. And I think that's super important experience to have, because if I'm going in and I don't understand those things, or I'm not aware of them, I'm going to be completely blindsided and get stuck in that shame spiral every time. It's definitely an ongoing practice of awareness. I have a friend who has a gluten intolerance, like severe will break out in rashes all over his body if he has gluten. 
And sometimes I think like, man, that's so sad, all the things that he doesn't get to eat. But I think he just knows that and he accepts it. And so he's just not spending any time feeling bad for himself anymore. He's just eating what he can eat and avoiding what he can't. And I feel like I kind of got to that point with this too. It was like, I just know that no matter how many people don't have that same response to certain foods that I have, that doesn't change the reality that I have those responses. Those are the consequences for me. Right. And I can always be trying to work on them and improve and you know, master myself, but also like there I'm human. So there are going to be times where I mess up. And if I just go in with this awareness and especially an intention of having the spirit with me, then ultimately, like if, if doing all those things helps protect me from the shame, when I do mess up, then I'm light years ahead of where I was five years ago. Right. Because the shame was the most crippling part of the entire experience with food. Yeah. I love that. Something you mentioned regarding how often you were actually eating spiritual food in your day to day. Can you go into more depth about how often you really were spiritually nourishing yourself? Uh, yeah. And again, I feel like the space for how often I thought to spiritually nourish was provided because I wasn't turning to food, right? Like I think if we take a minute to just like practice awareness on a given day of how much we're thinking about, like, what we want to eat or what we feel like, or especially if you're a snacker, like I am. And like, you might be surprised how often your mind is like, hmm, or like you see the pantry or you see something on the counter and you're like, hmm. <laughs> and so because I had the boundaries on that, there was all this space, but then I also had to figure out like, okay, what do I do with these emotions when they come up? Or what do I do when I feel bored? Or like, what am I going to do? I'm so used to just going and finding a treat. And when I had started reading the book of Mormon it wasn't, again, it wasn't like, oh, this is what I'll do. I'll just read the book of Mormon. It was more like, I just felt so good. And so I didn't have to think or overanalyze what I was going to get from it before I went and read it. It was kind of like, it would just come to me. Like it would just be like an idea of like, oh, why don't you just go read this? So I started doing that where I would wake up. I had a routine because I had quiet time in the morning and would call my sponsor. I would wake up and read the book of Mormon, but then I would just keep it with me all day. And I would like, sometimes even if I was triggered, it would felt it would feel very natural to go open that versus also I've had experiences in the past where it doesn't feel very natural to go open that. Like you almost don't want to do the thing that, you know, would help you. And there's a resistance to it. I found that the more that I did read it throughout the day and I would read it at stoplights and I would read it like my kids would be taking a bath and there's three minutes, three to five minutes while they're bathing and just playing and splashing that I'm not washing someone or doing something. And I would just sit there with my book of Mormon next to the tub and read until they were ready to get out. Like there were so many pockets of time that I found like the the spirit would just prompt me to do that. And I, I didn't expect it to give me anything, but what I found over time was like, it totally gave me fortitude. I just felt so aware of God's reality versus the reality I had lived in most of my life and created in a lot of ways that I didn't like, I don't know. It just brought this peace and this understanding of like, when I even would recognize my own emotions and be getting upset, I would just kind of quickly be able to recognize like without attaching to those emotions, like, oh yeah, like that's not even real. <laughs> right. Or like, oh, I'm just getting worked up. Like this is, this is okay. And anyway, it just, it brought like this, this steadiness, I feel like to my character that had been missing and helped me to face like any of those temptations, whether they were with food or they were with how to spend my time or with how to react or respond in a relationship that might trigger me or something. It, it totally just became like this, this lubricant for all of those tough, you know, hard edges of situations. 
And what general conference talks are your go-to for spiritual nourishment? I have several. And when I started this food program, the very first one that my sponsor and friend recommended to me that I still go to is actually not a conference talk. It's a BYU speech by Elder Holland called Cast Not Away There for Your Confidence. And I listened to that one probably every single day (laughs) when I first started. So I just have this like connection to it because it helped me. I just remember listening every morning and being like, oh my gosh, I see that differently. Oh my gosh, that makes sense to me now. Like little by little, my brain was just expanding with that talk. I love a few by President Nelson that have helped me on this journey to hear him was in 2020. And that was like a big part of my journey and an answer to a lot of things I had been searching for on this food journey. He has another talk from the eighties called self-mastery that is just like, so it just is so good. It's got so much language around mastering our bodies with our spirits, like mastering our appetites and these very things I'm talking about with food. He also has another one that talks a lot about like our spirit and our bodies called decisions for eternity. And then uh, Lynn G. Roberts in the 70s has a talk that is one of my all-time favorites called Which Way Do You Face? And that one, again, if, especially if anyone listening is like me and has struggled with seeking that outside validation or being overly concerned with what people in the world think versus prioritizing God's opinion of us, like that talk is so good for that. And then there's one by Elder Eyring just called Prayer just that one word prayer. And I feel like I learned so much from that talk. And some of these are just, they are like super personal to me because of where they hit on my journey. And I just happened to find them at that time. Right. And the way they just connected me with the Lord and helped me to understand him better. And I'm so grateful for those. Awesome. I've definitely been benefited by Amanda's love of these specific talks and other talks as well that she has shared with me. And so I know that they can bless your life as well. We'll link those in the show notes so that you can check them out as well. And what do you wish more people understood about God and his capacity to help us subdue the flesh, subdue the flesh and let the spirit rule? There's a quote by Joseph Smith that I came across a couple of years ago. And everybody's heard this scripture. I think it's even maybe in Psalms or Proverbs that says, Be still and know that I am God. Such a beautiful scripture. And it brings so much like spirit to it when we're in those moments of anxiety or just overthinking or freaking out about whatever is happening in our lives. And I had heard a twist on that from Joseph Smith where he said, be still and know that I am God, know God, and then you can be still. And I just, that my whole journey is a testimony of that, that the time that we spend trying to learn about God, who he is, what his character is like. I mean, literally like articulately trying to learn as much as we can about Jesus Christ and the the situations he was in and how similar they are to the things that we experience. Most of my life, I just didn't think they were similar. Right. And you don't go that direction because you're like, it was thousands of years ago. There's no way he can understand what this is like. We have technology and we have social media and we have all these things, but there are so many similarities. And I think if people maybe just saw it that way from, from Joseph Smith's perspective, because it did, it changed everything for me. It wasn't just about be still and trust God, but like when you know God and you're seeking to know him and not just by study, but by faith and having experiences with him, right. Doing those hard, scary things that we can come to understand him better. We can understand our lives and ourselves better. We can understand why we've been given certain challenges in the flesh and just how capable we are of overcoming those with his help and how the way he intricately has designed 
the entire plan and how it works that we don't just rely on him to do everything for us, but that it's also not just about us doing everything for ourselves. Like there's this beautiful harmony of when we do it together, we, we get the best of everything (laughs) and we get to see ourselves in a way that we aren't capable of seeing ourselves without him and what we're able to overcome. And it, I just think it's such a beautiful thing. And it's almost like makes me grateful for the struggles that I've had in my natural man state and identity, right? Like there have been moments where I've hated those struggles. And a lot of those years were years that I wasn't turning to God to help me understand them. But I think there's so much that he's already given us. And when we're willing to use and value what already is here and not keep looking past the mark and past the horizon to find something different, um, there's just something beautiful that happens in our understanding and, and our gratitude for him. And then our ability to love ourselves even more. I love that. And then I think often there's a temptation for me in my mind when people are like, Oh, it's spiritual. Like I just connected with God that there can be almost this disconnect from that is what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that she was able to like maintain this spiritual perspective through this process And I think you did a good job of explaining that to us. Like, you know, you were, you were spending time, like nourishing your soul through the words of, through the words of the prophets and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the book of Mormon. And you were going to these scriptures to help you and support you in this process. And you were spending time with the Lord clearly as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is interesting. I think there's still that temptation to feel like, oh, but this is what I can't eat. And this is what I can eat. And this is what I can't do. And this is what I can do. And, and I guess that there is like, I think humans do need boundaries, but it's pretty tricky for us somehow to like reconcile that, like to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but there's still that, like, what does this really mean? You know, like, how does this really look? And I, I'm curious, how would you address somebody who's like, yeah, I hear you say that, but like, how does that apply to me? Right. Yeah. That's a great question because I don't think there is one answer to it. Like even when I think about my journey, the interesting thing with the food program was I explained kind of the structure of all of it, right? And the tools that they would encourage that you use. But there was also this understanding that like, if you did break your abstinence, they called it a break, right? You had to start over. So the goal was to try to get to 90 days of abstinence to get to a point where like you had been working through this and not turning to the food this entire time and turning to your higher power instead. And then you kind of earn this opportunity. They call it a qualify to share your story in a meeting. And you get to be somebody who's like, wow, I didn't turn to the food for 90 days and I can share the wisdom. Like, how did I get through that? Right. Cause it seems so impossible to do that for 90 days. <laughs> and, and yet at the same time, there were a lot of people who didn't like the structure of you get broken and then you have to start over. And I think It's so interesting for me to look back on that because I see it everywhere, even in non-food scenarios in life where both are true. Like it's okay to be broken and have to start over. And it's also okay to not be broken and be excused and say, just keep going. You don't have to start over. So like I had situations on my food journey where technically with my sponsor, like maybe another sponsor would have broken me at day 48 and said, you have to start over because I ate something that I didn't put on my plan for that day that I was going to eat. And I know those, those structures around food are a lot of, are like hard for a lot of people to like, you had to say everything you were going to eat. Right. But again, it's coming from a place of addiction. And like, I couldn't even trust myself to eat 
what I said, I would, like I needed somebody to hold me accountable to show myself that I could keep my commitment because I was always deferring to my mood or I was always deferring to my food. Like my food was always bailing me out from having to keep a commitment. And so I found that to be really powerful. And I think with what I experienced that was transformational for me was that even though I broke and my sponsor should have you know, had me start over. She didn't. She practiced compassion on me. And she just said, let's just figure out why you keep turning to the food, right? Like, let's just figure out what, why did this happen? Why did you feel like you needed to go binge on nuts and mangoes? Right. And when I, when I look at that, it's like, I can only imagine that everyone else in that program had situations like that, where they weren't perfect, where they might've turned to the food and were excused or they were, they turned to the food. And I knew people for a fact who it took them over a year to get 90 consecutive days of abstinence, right? And it totally depended on how the sponsor handled it. It depended on whether or not they wanted to keep going. And I just think there's something so beautiful about that because I think I think there's a lesson in that with life and especially with the gospel where we're trying to keep the commandments. We're trying to do all the things that God has told us we ought to do to be our best and to have the happiest life. But sometimes we screw up. <laughs> sometimes we just don't want to do it. And there's a lot of things that get in the way. But ultimately, like, are you going to be happy if you do those? Yeah. Are you also going to be okay if you don't? Yeah. Right. And like, that is where Jesus Christ is. So to me, answering that question is like, it's completely dependent on the, the individual and how they navigate their hitting the mark. And then when they fall up short and that isn't that just what life is, right? It's like, how do we receive the grace of our savior who says it's okay. And then sometimes we're so hard on ourselves because we just can't accept that it's okay. Right. But like, we're missing something. We're not receiving something from him when we're hard on ourselves. And there's just this beautiful mix that happens when we start to understand that better and understand him better that allows us to kind of take a step back and breathe and be like, okay, I don't have to do anything. Right. It's always my choice. Why do I want to do this? Am I doing it to earn approval and love and acceptance? Or am I doing it for this? Like there's so much that reveals itself on a journey of just, of just trying and striving and, and being willing to just accept that it's never going to be a perfect journey. And it's not ever going to look exactly like someone else's. And then the last question I have is actually about physiology. So what Mm -hmm. did you notice about how your body actually changed when you didn't have those specifically, uh, highly processed and intended to addict kind of foods. Yeah. My answer to that question is actually, I think I learned more when I introduced them back. Like anything, when you're making a change, it's pretty subtle. It's like you feel better and you start to notice the clarity, but you're like, is this, is this the food or is it just because I'm like not thinking, you know, like, because I know I have a plan and I have someone to talk to every day. Like it's hard to totally attribute like this caused this. It's almost more of just like a correlation of things, right? Like, well, I'm doing all these different things. How do I know it's the food? Like, well, you don't. (laughs) But when I introduced sugar and flour back in after two years of not having them, I absolutely noticed a difference. And I was more and am still to this day, more sensitive to certain foods that have those in them than I ever was before. And I'm almost like sometimes I'm like, man, this stinks. Cause like I have more data now for why it's best for me to eat a certain way. And sometimes I wish I didn't have that data. Cause it would be so easy to just be like, well, I don't have any reason not to. So I guess I'll just binge on these Kit Kats. Like, but I have a lot of reasons not to now. And, and that just, you know, that's stuff for me to continue to learn from and grapple with. But I noticed a bigger difference when I, when I had it again, because I think I had 
this very clean and clear slate to compare it to where I could be like, wow, that's off. Right. I felt so good. And just like, didn't even think about it most of the time. Like even think about my size. Cause I just felt comfortable in my clothes and everything. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's, what's making me feel bulgy or bloated. It's like, it's not even my, it's not even my actual body. It's like the food that's causing that feeling in me. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? I think there is so much to be learned from food journeys. I think we may find our ourselves at time just avoiding, like I was saying, like we don't want the data because we're not ready to like be accountable for it. <laughs> and so we're not going on a, a journey of experimenting and trying something new. Um, but I also, there's this beautiful foundation I've discovered of, again, like we have to eat to live and there's nothing else like that, that I can find that has that same symbolism to the gospel, to our spiritual nourishment. And I think when we can find that harmony and that freedom, whatever that looks like for us, it will be life-changing and it doesn't necessarily have to look how my journey looked. Right. But I found what that looks like in my life with the Lord. And I just think that's something that's available to everybody. And I mean, if you think about it, like you, you don't even have to exercise to survive, right? Like it's, it's good for you. It can help you feel better or help you like overcome mental struggles, but like we have to eat to live. And when you can have that in a good place where you just wake up and you feel good about it every day, doesn't mean it's always easy. doesn't mean that you don't also want those other things, but you could say the same thing about living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like not always easy. doesn't mean I also don't want to go do these other things sometimes. Right. And and follow that path. But like, there's just something so replenishing and renewing when you find harmony in those choices. Um, it, it completely changed my life. And I just want that for everybody. I really, really do. And tell us how we can get a hold of you. Yes. So I'm not on social media right now, but my, um, my website is still up and I plan to do something with it when the timing is right again. So littlemissfearless.com. I have a contact page. You can also link over to my social media sites from there. 